And keep your Bibles handy. We'll look at a few passages today. And um, Philippians chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown. Well, that's a statement, isn't it? Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of those that we've had the opportunity to reach with the gospel that they were our joy and our crown? He says, So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Father, we pray that you'll bless once again the message today. Speak to our hearts and help us to... Uh, understand clearly uh, your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak on several things today regarding the subject of rejoice in the Lord. Nine different times in the Scriptures the phrase rejoice in the Lord is used. Multiple times, hundreds of times, the word rejoice or joy is utilized in Scripture. And things that we should joy in and rejoice in uh, is certainly... Uh, instructed in Scripture, not only that we're to rejoice, but even the things that we're to rejoice in. So I want to give you at least seven things today uh, that the Bible teaches we should rejoice in. This time of year being Thanksgiving, and our hearts and thoughts have been on uh, thoughts of thankfulness and gratitude. Uh, There ought to be things in our life that uh, we rejoice in, that we're glad for, we're thankful for, uh, that the Bible speaks of. We're going to start In a couple of places here. Uh, Start first of all with Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter number 10. And verse number 20. Luke chapter number 10. And uh, Jesus is teaching here, and there's no doubt during his earthly ministry that uh, miracles were performed. In fact, not only was uh, he performing miracles, but he gave his disciples and some of his followers uh, the power to do some miracles. They did not last uh, beyond the time of the apostles, and uh, actually uh, by the end of uh, Paul's life and even uh, John uh, John's life, uh, who was the oldest living apostle, uh, they, they had already begun seeing the opportunity of performing miracles dwindle. Uh, But uh, it was during this time that uh, Jesus was giving some instruction to His disciples. And He said, uh, going back up in verse number 19, uh, He says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And I think sometimes we, we... there, there certainly is nothing wrong with rejoicing in being able to lead someone to Christ. But these men were mistaken the working of miracles uh, by their own hands sometimes uh, as being uh, something they should rejoice in or take uh, pleasure in. And Jesus instructs them that they shouldn't rejoice in that, but that they should rejoice, more importantly, that their names are written in heaven. And uh, the idea that you're saved and on your way to heaven, I think, is the most 
uh, important thing for you and I to rejoice in. We're living in a day, I think, where a lot of Christians uh, have lost their joy in knowing that they're saved. I remember the day that I got saved and uh, the joy that came into my heart. Uh, and it was a joy that has grown since then. Um, but but there, ought to be a, uh, there ought to be a continuous joy in our hearts uh, for the fact that we're saved. When we give testimony time, uh, I think it goes without saying, but probably should be said uh, more often, that we're thankful that God has saved us. I mean, that is probably the greatest miracle of all times, the idea that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, came to this earth to die on a cross for our sins because God is a holy God and a just God and because we are sinners. Uh, It doesn't make sense that God would do this, and yet He did. Uh, And we ought to rejoice in that. And so Jesus tries to instruct His disciples that the most important thing they should rejoice in uh, is that their names are written in heaven. Then over in 1 Peter chapter 1, kind of going along with that same subject, uh, Peter also references something that uh, is certainly something we should rejoice in. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, 1 Peter chapter number 1, if you go to Revelation back a few books, you'll be there. So it's right towards the end of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, <clears throat> elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us, again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept, notice this, by the power of God, through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only should we rejoice in the fact that we are saved, I believe that we ought to rejoice in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ keeps us saved. Verse 5, it says, who are kept by the power of God. We're kept by the power of God. And then he goes on to say in verse number 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. What's he saying? He's saying no matter what the burdens of life are, rejoice that you are not only saved, but you are kept by the power of God unto salvation. And so I think sometimes we... Uh, don't don't give enough credit to the fact that God keeps us saved. God keeps us saved. And then a verse that most of you know by heart, and you can turn there if you'd like to, but Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. Paul writes this, he says, And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. We know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I think the next thing we need to rejoice in is the fact that God is at work in our life. 
God is at work in our life. He can take something <coughs> that we look at and think that's not a very nice thing or a very beautiful thing, and He can make something very beautiful from it. Uh, there are times that we reap the consequences of poor choices and sin. And yet, God sometimes will be able to take something that even through our sin or our bad choices, and as we come to Him and we get that matter right, He's able to oftentimes take some of that and make it something very beautiful. Uh, he doesn't give up on us. He doesn't put us on a shelf just because we've messed up on some things. And so I'm thankful that God is actively at work in my life. It's something we ought to rejoice in. Uh, that God can take these things um, and make them work for good uh, in spite of what we may think. Uh, sometimes we even look at some of the circumstances that God allows us to go through. Maybe not even trials, maybe not even burdens. And we don't understand why He's bringing us through some of those things. And yet we can rejoice in the fact that He's at work in our life. And uh, something we should be rejoicing in. Then Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1. And uh, we'll begin in verse 18. Philippians chapter number 1. And verse number 18. There was some contention... Uh, between some of the folks that were preaching the gospel, and Paul pointed it out. Uh, in fact, he spoke about this in verse number 15. He said, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. One preacheth Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And so some things were not working out Real well for the Apostle Paul, and some people, uh, some things were working out for him, uh, and some people were out vindictively trying to use the gospel to attack him. But notice what he said, in verse eighteen. He said, "What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I do there, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice." And the next thing we ought to rejoice in is that God allows us to preach the gospel. He's given it into our hands. It's a wonderful privilege to preach the gospel and have the Word of God go forth. Uh, I think sometimes when we teach or preach on service and how uh, we're to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, sometimes we get the idea that uh, this is some mundane task or obligation that we must do, and if we don't, God's going to get us for it. Uh, can I tell you, the service of the Lord, and especially the issue of sharing the gospel with somebody, is one of the greatest privileges of a Christian's life. It's one of the great joys of the Christian life, and it's something that Paul says, I rejoice in and will rejoice in. And it ought to be something that we rejoice, that the Word of God is preached, that we're uh, given and afforded the opportunity uh, to preach that gospel, to hold it in our hands. Uh, most all of us here today, own more than one copy of Scripture. We have more than that sitting in our homes. And the wonderful opportunity that God has given us here in the United States of America should not be taken for granted. Uh, it should be something that we rejoice in greatly, uh, something that we love and that, that 
is a blessing to our hearts. It's a thrill to our hearts to be able to be used in His service. And uh, then number five, I believe it is, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Things that we should be rejoicing in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse number, um, let's go ahead and start in verse number 6. But now when Timotheus came from us, or from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if we stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? These folks had sent uh, encouragement to the Apostle Paul in his affliction. And he joys in that. He, he takes great pleasure in that and rejoices in it. And uh, so I wrote down number five, that we should rejoice in the fellowship of our brethren. We should rejoice in the fellowship. And you could even use the word encouragement here if you'd like, of the brethren. Uh, we've spoken a lot on this in recent days. Just the importance of a small word of encouragement, a small word uh, of just letting someone know that you're praying for them. Uh, makes all the difference in the world. It brings joy to a heart that uh, is under a burden. And I don't know how many times I've gotten a text from someone saying, Pastor, I'm praying for you, and it came at such a, a needful time, uh, a time where the burden was great, and how it, lifted, how it lifted the Spirit and encouraged. And it's something we rejoice in, and Paul rejoiced in this. Uh, number, I think, six, we need to rejoice in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to rejoice in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just back a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19, Paul writes, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Uh, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit of God is given to indwell each and every one of us. When we trust Christ as our Savior, He comes to live in us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we ought to rejoice in that. Uh, the comfort that He gives. In Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, uh, if you'd like to turn there, you can, but I'll quote it for you, where uh, the writer of Acts says, And ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And the idea that the Holy Spirit not only indwells us, but that He also rests upon us. 
He enables us. He strengthens us to do the work that God has given for us to do. And it's something a Christian ought to greatly rejoice in. And then back to Romans chapter 8 for a moment, just over a few pages to the right. There's another thing about the Holy Spirit that I think is important to note here. (coughs) And the joy that comes from Him indwelling us. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 26. What role does He play when He indwells us? There's a number of things that He does for us. Um, But one of them we find here in Romans chapter 8, verse number 26. The Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Isn't that a great statement? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit living within us. He helps us in our praying. He helps us in our infirmities. He instructs us in truth and in righteousness. He brings conviction. Um, He brings comfort. He brings illumination and understanding uh, of the Word of God. There are so many roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives and uh, performs in us. And if there is something beyond our salvation that probably is only second to it, that we should rejoice in. It ought to be the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That we have His presence. He goes where we go. He sees what we see. He hears what we hear. He knows what we think. And He leads and guides our steps as we study His Word and follow it. Then number seven. Number seven. We need to rejoice in God's grace. In God's grace. Grace, of course, being His unmerited favor. And oftentimes when we speak of God's grace, we're speaking specifically of the saving grace of God. But there's more to God's grace than just His saving grace. And we experience that grace every single day. In 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter number 2, John is writing to Christians, fellow believers. In verse number 1, he says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Once we're saved, God's desire is that we not sin at all. But we do. And when we do, God's grace is still there, isn't it? He is an advocate for us. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one that stands as the payment in full for that sin. And God's grace is given not just at the time of salvation, but over and over and over again in our lives. In Titus chapter 2, Titus is just a book right before Hebrews. There's Titus, Philemon, then Hebrews. 
So if you get to Hebrews, just back up a couple pages. In Titus chapter 2, and verse number 11, the Bible says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. This grace of God that has been given to every person. There are people out here who say, well, some are predestined to be saved and some are predestined not to be saved. And while the Bible does use the word predestination, it is not in reference to salvation. It is in reference to us being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every man is given the opportunity to be saved. Every man has a choice. Every man has to make that decision. And every man has been given the grace of God. It has appeared to all men, not just to the elect. It has appeared to all. And then James chapter 4, just over a few pages, Hebrews and then James. In James chapter number 4, verse number 6, the Bible says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. A number of years ago, uh, my dad was uh, suffering with cancer. We, he was getting closer to, to uh, the time that the Lord was going to call him home. I had a, a friend of mine that was visiting with us over from across the state, a pastor, and we were uh, on a golf cart in the, in, out in the, on the church property, uh, riding from one, one area of it to the other, and he asked me how I was, how I was dealing with things with my dad and, and the, the sorrow that was there with him uh, suffering from the cancer. And we, we pretty well knew at that point that God was going to take him unless he worked a miracle. And, uh, and I, told, I told him, I said, God's grace has been very real. It's, you know, we talk of God's grace, but until you go through something uh, in your life that is so moving... Sometimes you don't really understand the grace that God brings and the comfort that it is to you. And uh, I mentioned that. I said, that, well, God's grace has been very real. And I said, I don't, know, I don't know if it's that He's giving me more grace or if it's that I'm more aware of the grace that He has given. And a week or two later, I came across this in James chapter 4, and I had read it before, but I guess I had not thought of it in this way. But the Bible teaches us that that God does give more grace. And as an answer to the question that I that I posed to him, I said, I don't know whether it's understanding his grace more fully or being more aware of it, or that he's giving more grace. I think the answer to that that conundrum there is more than likely both. God does give more grace. And as He does, we also become more aware of that grace. We begin to see it. And it's something we should rejoice in daily. And then the last one. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Things that we should rejoice in. Psalm 119. And verse 162. Psalm 119. Verse 162. 
The psalmist writes, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could rejoice in the word of God that way? As one that findeth great spoil. There, I wrote down here, we ought to rejoice in the comfort of the Scriptures. The comfort of the Scriptures. The Scriptures are inexhaustible. They're, they're things that the Scriptures do for us that we take for granted so often. Uh, the Scriptures cause us to have hope uh, for the future. To know that we can be saved. To know that we have the hope of heaven in our hearts. And the Bible teaches us that. It instructs us in that. Uh, we know that the Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It teaches us in doctrine. It reproves us. It rebukes us. And it instructs us in righteousness. And it brings great comfort to us. Uh, knowing where the boundaries are. Knowing what God says is right. And knowing what God says is wrong is of great comfort to us. There was a study done a number of years ago of uh, children that were playing near a very busy street in a play area. And they found that when there was no fence around the playground area, that the kids were, uh, were more inclined to stay away from the busy streets and were toward the middle of the playground area. But when they put the fence up, the kids would eventually go out and play closer to where the fence area was. And the study concluded this, that people like to have the barriers known. It helps them to have a peace. They know that inside those barriers, there's safety. They're not anxious for things. They're not worried about things because it gives us some boundaries. Uh, I've shared this illustration a number of times. Uh, there are some people that believe that speed limits are the minimum. And there are some people who believe that speed limits are the maximum. And But the speed limit is, is a boundary. It's a limit that the government, it doesn't say speed suggestion, it says speed limit. It's a, it's a boundary. And sometimes people get make fun of me because I try to stay right inside that limit as much as I can and, uh, and not go over and not get distracted from it. And... Uh, it's amazing. I would oftentimes, as we were uh, traveling years ago, and I was still married, and my wife's mindset back then was uh, that the speed limit was the minimum. She liked to go over. You know, well, they won't stop you until you're 10 or 15 over, she'd say. And uh, but you know, it was amazing on these trips. Every once in a while, I'd get too tired to drive, and I'd let her drive, and I'd go to sleep, and all of a sudden, I mean, I'd wake up in a panic because the brakes are squealing and are, are being put on hard and I'm being pushed against my seatbelt. And she's like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I thought, oh, no, here we go. We're getting in an accident. And all it was was there was a state trooper on the side of the road. And uh, she was nervous about that. She was constantly looking, you know, watching, trying to see, am I going to get caught? And uh, I tried to explain to her, you know, if you set the cruise control on the speed limit, you can wave at those guys as you go by. There's great peace within the boundaries. And when we rejoice in the comfort that God's Word is, God's Word sets the boundaries. And it brings comfort to us. It brings peace to us. It also reminds us of God's love for us. Over and over and over again, we see God's love on display. We, we see it throughout the book. From the very beginning of creation to the very end of time. 
We find His faithfulness to us expressed in this book. We find His long-suffering expressed to us in this book. This book helps us to forgive others. And it brings peace to our hearts. It brings comfort to us. This book comforts us in times of sorrow. This book brings strength to us in times of weakness. And we could go on and on and on and on about the book of the Word of God and all the benefits that it is to us. And we will not have begun to express all of it. Suffice to say, we ought to rejoice in the comfort of God's Word. There are people today that would give anything to own a copy of the Word of God. Some of them that pray and plead for God to send a copy to them. In countries where it's illegal for them to even have them. And even if they are to get a bit of Scripture or a piece of Scripture, they treasure it. They, 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 they regard it as something sacred, as something to be revered, and something to be cherished. And then I look at America, where most people have multiple copies of Scripture. We have all the freedom in the world to carry it, to read it, to even share it with others. And how little we take advantage of the wonderful liberty we have. And it ought to be something we rejoice in. The Bible tells us rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. There are things of Scripture that teach us that we should be rejoicing in. And certainly in a, in a book that is so inexhaustible as this book, uh, we have only scratched the surface of things that Christians ought to rejoice in. I would say this, that there 